Turn Up The Talk podcast, tackling mental health together. Hey everyone, and welcome to Turn Up The Talk. You're joined by Pat Clifton and Lockie Drew Morris. Drewy, how you going, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, good. No Moretti again. He's playing today. Yeah, for the Bears, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Good luck to Bears. him. He's barnstorming barn front row at the moment. Yeah, I know. Fuck. He'd That'd be that, intense, eh? wouldn't He'd it? He'd be loving it. No, I don't think he would. <laughs> no I don't way. think he is. Uh, today we're joined by a pretty special guest, Dan Price. Mm, amazing story. He um, survived his own suicide attempt. I'm sure some of you might remember back in 2014, uh, December morning, the Harbour Bridge. Dan tried to take his own life by jumping off the bridge and he dives into that in into this episode and he just so open and so so honest about what led to that and you know some of the things that maybe he didn't pick up on that he could have picked up on or if he had further education on which would have been great and also then his journey from that moment to what he is now and he's a successful businessman traveling around the world to talk about mental health he's got a young family so yeah. yeah, he's doing well for himself. And just like Drew, we mentioned, he does dive into it in pretty deep topics. So just a trigger warning for some, obviously this is a mental health podcast, so some content discussed is triggering. If you're not feeling up to it today, hit pause and come back another day. Dan Price, thanks for joining us, mate. How you going? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having us, guys. What have you been up to lately? You just got back from New Zealand, we were saying. Yes, I did. Um, I did a sort of a quasi ultra marathon mountain run over there. Um, pretty new to the sport, but but loving the challenge. Um, yeah, it was ended up being about forty four k's through the through the Alps. Um, if you know sort of running or cycling elevation, it was two thousand six hundred meters of elevation over the run, which means it was seriously hilly. <laughs> <laughs> for the, um, for the la- layman's terms yeah yeah like some you know sort of 6k hill climbs Shit. it's pretty relentless and then the descents just destroy your quads so yeah um but you know i love the the physical and mental challenge that comes with endurance events um you know it's it's another level um you know when you get real deep in the hurt locker and you got a couple of hours to go you know yeah. you, you got to find something and Mate, yeah, it's just it's really good fun. You know, I really enjoy it. It's not for everyone, but um, yeah, it was good good fun. I got it done, and I wasn't doing it for time, but but ended up um, with a result that was probably twenty percent quicker than I thought I'd do it in. So I was really stoked. Yeah, I was out there for six and a half hours. It's <laughs> quasi. So what actually is it? Is it a full run and bike? Yeah, so or no, no, it's just, just a run. Just a run. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's um it's called Shot Over Moonlight Mountain Marathon um on private lands it's quite quite niche you get a lot of like professional runners from overseas that do it it's only 250 people in the event and i think about 200 finished i finished up 30th so it's pretty wrapped yeah wow awesome yeah so um i'll my goal is um by 2022 so i'm giving myself plenty of time i want to try to do a 100 mile ultra which is 160 k's that's like the pinnacle of ultra running um just see if I can get the body there. You know, I had a motorbike accident a few years ago and I got pins and screws in my ankle. So it's like, there's a few reasons. I was told I wouldn't run again. So there's a lot of that. You know, I'm running because I can, because a yep. lot of people can't. Um, you know, there's a lot of tie-ins with uh, the mental health work that I do for me about resilience and getting out there and having a crack and not roaring if uh, if you don't finish. Um, you know, not needing to be the best because I used to be extremely competitive. I know you boys... 
you know have that ingrained in you too from from the footy and, and all the rest and and just growing up um you know at a private school that's sporty you know you kind of have that ingrained in your dna somewhere but um i've really worked on letting that go um to the point where i don't really feel i compare myself to anyone or anything anymore um which has probably been one of the uh the biggest turning points for me um managing my anxiety i i think for me personally yeah so you say you're new to the sport but yeah. you, you seem pretty sporty mm. what other sports have you done growing up oh mate that's a long list um i was pretty lucky um as a kid my mum my and dad um let me try whatever i wanted so you know cricket baseball i really love baseball tennis and soccer were my main sports and i played them at at high school at Jelly's. Yeah. um and after school too till probably 26 but then you know i did things like um gymnastics trampolining springboard diving like water polo swimming like that you know the oh. works i did yeah i did a lot um I was just, you know, um, it's kind of probably a good segue into um, into the early part of my story, I guess, because, you know, I was a really energetic kid um, right on that upper end of that spectrum. Um, and so school was pretty tough um, for me, not being a bad student, not learning-wise, but just um, for the fact that I wanted to be outside all the time. I hated being in the classroom, like, get me out of here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I never played video games or anything like that. You know, I was always riding my BMX around the suburbs and exploring the stormwater drains and whatever I could, you know. I was just yeah. in, just in, into everything. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd get sent out of class a lot when I was young. You know, I'm talking like, you know, six, seven years old, getting sent out of class for talking and fidgeting and stuff, which was pretty tough. And that was probably, yeah, sort of obviously why we're here to talk about my, my mental health journey. Um, you know, it all started for me when I was diagnosed with ADHD at seven. Um, and that experience in itself was pretty traumatic for a young fella. Um, you know, getting treated differently and, and being sort of picked on and isolated by my teachers and things. It was not pleasant. And then to be sort of shipped off to a to a doctor, a specialist, and have, you know, caps put on your head. I felt like a science experiment. They're playing noises and then... You know, the long and short of that is you get wheeled back out and they say, yeah, well, you know, all I heard as a seven-year-old was um, you've got what we think you've got, what we thought you had. Take these pills and you'll be a normal kid. That's all I heard. Um, I don't really think there was much else to it, explanation-wise, which, um, you know, I've done a bit of work on and, and I've explored it and it is a lot better now. Um, but it's a bit like going to the doctors and saying, you know, I'm feeling pretty shit and the doctor writes you up a script for antidepressants and off you go. It's that sort yeah. of, you know, what's actually going on? Let's explain it to the patient or, you know, the, the person. And that didn't really happen for me. And, um, you know, for that reason, school was pretty tough. You know, I was picked on and bullied for it, for being different. I felt different. Um, probably wouldn't have mattered if I was being picked on, to be honest, because, you know, I'm taking medication and I felt different. Um I didn't feel like I really fit in ever, um, even though, um, you know, as some of the stories on the show so far, like Gussie Wallen, for example, I know he spoke about just not, um, you know, not feeling like himself. And, um, you know, I just, I felt a little bit outside, even though from, from the outside looking in, um, I was popular and I had a lot of good stuff going on. I had a great family and all that sort of stuff. Like I didn't have a lot of, you know, childhood trauma or really broken home or anything like that so I was very grateful for that but um yeah at the same time for whatever reason I just you know and there there obviously are a few um but I just yeah didn't feel like I, I really fit in and so um 
you know, that's where the comparisons came in and the perfectionism came in and just trying to be the best at everything because it was the only way I thought I was good enough to, to be here. Branching it back to the ADHD. Yeah. Do you think a lot of kids with ADHD, like, because it, it is a common occurrence for teachers to treat them differently and it's sort of, if you're in the class, it's sort of hard as another student not to notice that. So I guess that's going to enhance the bullying and things. Do you feel like it's also, it's almost like that sort of, segregation makes it a lot worse yeah definitely um you know i I do think it's improved um it it seems to probably not in all um, parts of society but um you know teachers understand now that not every kid learns the same um you know that's why our education system um in the western world you know isn't really that sound um there are a lot of schools popping up that are for the creative types that allow kids to choose what they want to learn and those sorts of things which would have been um, you know, a lot better for, for someone like me. Um, yeah, so for sure, you know, um, it just exacerbates the, the issues. Mm. You know, um, I understand, you know, you, you need to discipline kids for sure. Um, but I think the naughtiest thing I ever did was say fuck in class, you know, like it's <laughs> yeah. not, you know, I'm not, 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 world, I'm, yeah. not thro- I'm not throwing shit at teachers yeah, and, yeah. and abusing them or anything like that, right? Um, you know, and... Yeah, like the the long the long term effects that it has on a kid. I now know, um, and I only unpacked this, you know, eighteen months ago in therapy. That how much it actually affected me. That part of my journey. You know, when I first started telling my story four years ago, this whole front end. Um, you know, I used to start telling it at about sixteen, seventeen. Like, yeah, you know, right. Pressures getting to me in high school. Yeah, and then I realised there was this whole other bit. Um, and obviously, it's funny, you know, talking about mental health and mental illness and mental wellness um, for you know about two years from my own standpoint. And I never, I never even spoke about a mental health, Ill, mental illness diagnosis that I got when I was seven. You know, by classification, that's what it is, and put on medication for it. So, you know, I even missed it. I think I'd kind of blocked it out, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it was, look, it was a tough thing for a young fella to go through, and um, you know, it's it's very common, as you guys know. And um, you know, I just, you know, I I feel it's important now to tell that part of the story because um, you know, a lot of people are going through it or have gone through it. Um, a lot of parents come up to me to talk to me specifically about that after a talk now, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, my son's going through that. My daughter's going through that. Um, you know, how can we navigate it better? And I think it's just communication. You know, communicating with, um, you know, whoever's around that kid to support them you know we want these kids to flourish to grow like you know we want to water them and and you know let them get on with it not keep shunning them and putting them down and sitting them outside in the in the corridor so all the other kids can see that they're sent out of class you know it's just not a it's not yeah. a good thing for for kids to go through because we we spoke to mark mitchell last yeah. week or two weeks ago and he he's now studied quite a bit of psychology and gone down that track and he said it's crazy how much early childhood trauma if you call it can affect you in the later lives and like you said you don't even really pay attention to it you don't think much of it you might not remember half of it but he said there was a study and i think it was from the age of under nine or zero to six or zero to nine has such a big influence in your later life that you don't quite know about and i think that's getting discussed a lot more now the big one was the he had a kid who was very violent Mm. and no one knew what to do with him but no one bothered to think about what had happened to him and he was actually he in his home there were domestic violence mm. with his parents so yeah, it's sort of like well that yeah. sets the tone for a kid especially if he's seeing that every day i mean he 
it's really sad but he tends to know no different yeah absolutely and i think you know that's that's what we need to look at like we need to look to turn it around and look at these situations um you know from a different angle you know if a kid's acting out um you know you're not born with that knowledge to 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 know how to act out like that's learned and what's it learned from is he just watching really violent tv and video games um is there violence in his house um is he getting abused himself you know like there's something um what is the story you know and that's why we're here telling stories like everyone's got a story and what 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 has happened to make that situation occur for that kid to 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 have him behave in that way like the behavior is one thing you know when we we look at footy players and adult males which we'll talk more about you know like the the booze and drugs is the biggest one like it's just it's such a marker and i think now like when people come to me and they say oh you know my son he's he's drinking he's taking drugs i'm like perfect like why is that perfect because you've got something to talk about like if he's just isolating and you don't know what's going on it's very hard but you can point to it and say you can have the conversation you can say hey you know dan you you seem to be drinking a lot more than you used to be or you know what's happening you know it's a conversation starter and then you know you can dig down and work out actually what's driving that why is it you know and then ask the deeper questions and uncover what's actually going on is it a relationship breakdown is it financial stress you know is it childhood trauma um but just um you know there's always a reason for the behavior always even if it's just that they're fucking angry at the world like there's you know there's always a reason you mentioned before how hindsight's an amazing thing and now you look back to when you're seven and you you were you felt isolated obviously at the time you didn't really know what was going on looking back now in hindsight did that bring on depression and anxiety at that age um i don't think it did i've kind of done a bit of work exploring that with psychologists and what have you um just because i'm really curious at unpacking how some of my you know deeper behavioral patterns um where they've come from and and you know that obviously helps me unpack them now like you know things that might trigger me in a relationship where have they come from is it from a past relationship is it from my family life from my you know early childhood so i think um it, it didn't um it didn't impact me to the point of having um, adolescent anxiety and depression, not in a big way anyway. Um, I did get a little bit, um, I had moments of, of depression and anxiety as a kid, but it was always um, short-lived and situational around um, acting out, you know, like I'd, I'd make mistakes. You know, I clearly remember one time where I shot a, a slingshot at a car and the guy saw me and I was out the front of my house. It's not very smart. And so he came back, you know. So he came back, um, you know, he came back and, and knocked on the door, spoke to my parents, and I was like, yeah, I did it, you know. And then after it, like, you know, I got in a bit of trouble. Um, but after it, like, I remember being, like, ap- like, really beside myself upset. And I said to my mum, like, I don't know why I did that because I know that's wrong. Like, I know that's stupid. Mm. But I didn't think, like, why doesn't my brain, you know, and that's the ADHD, like, my brain's just so overactive and I'm so hyperactive, um, you know, that I'm just doing things. My mind's going so fast, um, you know, and I had to learn how to get that under control. And I did as a, you know, as a young teenager. Um, guess there were a few instances where I just did silly things, um, never anything major. That was probably the worst one, um, you know, and it could have been very dangerous, obviously. Um, nothing bad ended up happening, but... Um, yeah, like I just unpacking, um, you know, how I, 
how I acted at the time as a kid. Um, you know, I see some of those behavioural traits still in my adult life, you know, a bit of impulsivity and a bit of, um, you know, self-loathing, self-hatred when I'm not perfect and, and disappointment. So um, in those instances when I was a kid, you know, I would be pretty down on myself for a little while. I, you know, I'd isolate, I'd feel quite ashamed. I remember, you know, you know, fuck, dad's going to come home and he's going to have a talk to me about it too. And, you know, yeah. that whole, like, disappointment thing, you know, like, I'm better than that. And... Um, yeah, so I, I don't think it was, um, yeah, major depression or anxiety a, as a youngster, but um, there were certainly like some warning signs, I think, and some markers for that. And yeah. I think any kid that gets diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, um, and, you know, as a, as a youngster, um, you know, the studies show that it's intrinsically linked with um, with anxiety, especially um, with the overactive brain. And um, certainly if you take those symptoms into adulthood, then you know which i have um you know i was medicated for adhd um for a couple of years after um you know my sort of rock bottom um and it definitely helps you know i'm not medicated for it now it's a choice that i've made to to do a more holistic self-care approach um but concentration wise like the, the medication for me is amazing um but you know, there are some other things that, you know, I just don't particularly, I didn't want to take it forever, um, yep. you know, which was just a personal decision, um, you know, so I've toyed around with that. But yeah, mate, it's 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 a very, very interesting journey, um, that one, you know, the ADD, ADHD diagnosis, I think, for kids. And I think we just need to um, look after them a bit more, you know, about, you know, educating them on what's happening and, and just making sure they don't feel like they're weird or, or different, you know, everyone's different none of us are the same like they, these yeah. are the sorts of things we should be saying to kids i would have loved to have heard that as a kid you know just because you're the one that's taking medication doesn't mean that you're the only different one like yeah. he's different she's different you know um, yeah. we all come from different places different backgrounds you know because feeling like you're the the only the only weird one or the 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 odd one out in the room is um you know it's never a nice feeling but as a young person i think it's it's really really challenging do you want to talk to us about sort of, you hinted at sort of 16, 17, that's when it sort of started. Do you want to talk to us a bit more about that and like you mentioned rock bottom before? Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my late, um, my late teens, so say year 11, year 12, it's only relevant for the fact that, so um, I realise now that I started practising um, very early on in life this this really detrimental behavior of burying my emotions so um you know i spoke about obviously the bullying and feeling isolated and feeling different i never told anyone that um these are all just you know internal feelings that i would push away and suppress and you know i'd always tell my mum i was fine and i had a good day and i wouldn't tell her when and you know maybe even a parent told me to stay away from their kid in the playground like that sort of stuff you know it's pretty pretty rough um and um so then I went through into um, high school, Joey's sort of went through the whole feeling different thing again because, you know, you meet a whole new bunch of people and I'm going to the infirmary getting my medication every four hours and everyone knows about it. Yeah. Um, so that, I relived all that. Um, so by year eight, I, I just was like, Mum, I'm not taking the medication, I'm, I'm done. So I roughed um, the rest of high school. And, you know, the, the I guess the importance there is not only how strong the stigma was um, for me to just feel like I couldn't do it and I'd rather sort of struggle 
um, concentration wise because it did make things tougher for me um, especially in the classroom um, you know but just you know yeah it's um yeah it was just a tough journey really um that whole medication thing and, and feeling different but the flip side was being good at sport I was always the first picked you know whether it was touch footy or you know dodgeball it didn't matter it was like yeah. pricey right you know but yeah. but then you know no one wants to sit next to you in class because they might get in trouble if you talk to them or whatever like you know it was just it, it was tough like I had this real divide going on in my personality and um you know I just you know it, it was exacerbated by just not feeling good enough um then the perfectionist came in and I just needed to be the best at everything and do my absolute best um which you know is a behavioral trait that you know leads to burnout really um and that's what I started experiencing I was probably teetering on the cusp of that in year 12 um you know I think my my trial HSC marks were like giving me a a final score of like 72 say um which wasn't good enough for for what i wanted to do after school obviously i was playing sport around the clock and i wasn't really studying much i was just turning up to class um so once you know sport finished and i had a bit of time i just worked my ass off you know i was around the clock cramming but i put in a lot of effort um you know and then got into uni and, and did the stuff i wanted to do but there was a lot of anxiety at that time you know like it was pretty pretty full-on um feeling like you know and i know a lot of a lot of um people in 17 18 years old sitting their final exams all around the world just feel like you know if i don't do well here i'm gonna have a shit life yeah yeah. yeah, which is just awful but you know I, i was certainly one of those um you know thankfully for me at the time it did turn out well in terms of the fact that I didn't um I didn't have any sort of breakdown um or any major panic attacks and like I got the marks I needed and and life went on um but you know again there was some certainly some like some standout little markers there of anxiety and and panic and perfectionism and you know all these things that are um you know can really culminate in a serious mental health crisis you know you go way too far down the rabbit hole and you you light the candle at you know or burn the candle at so many ends that um you know you're gonna you're gonna end up crashing in the heat you see it with sports players all the time like you know they train so hard and they're you know but they're also maybe partying so hard or you know the social scene or whatever it is um yeah so you know it didn't um the the mental health um issues didn't really come to light until um probably 25 26 years old so just to fast forward my story mainly for you know the listeners to understand you know where I went to so I um I got into the course I wanted to do at uni um which was business property because dad told me it was a good idea (laughs) you know um and uh was a really high achiever there I got a scholarship to work at a um big property firm when I was 20 it was the only one going like I don't know how I got it but I was just that was my scholarship you know there was no way I was going to lose it so I was just hunting marks doing everything i could meeting with people like i'm going into the city and meeting with people before this interview to try and get the like you know i was just back so to that determined. perfectionist yeah. kind of thing yeah you know, and i'm 20 like my mates are overseas at Oktoberfest, you know yeah. like and i'm trying to build my career already and i was yeah. literally just ticking those boxes let's get this shit done like i want a house soon i want cars you know and i was um in a relationship from when i was 17 um a girl that i'd known since i was 13 or so and um yeah so we were still together um i proposed to her when um 
not long after I got my full-time gig and started working in property. So I did um, uni full-time and was working three days a week for the last year um, and then got offered a full-time job at the same firm before I even graduated. Um, so I was like, I was done. Yeah. Um, got promoted twice in the first two years. Like I was just really succeeding and, you know, big money's coming in for a youngster. Um, didn't know what to do with it. I'd moved out of home, you know, living with my girlfriend, um, I proposed to her, I think I was 22 or something. Um, We were married. um, I might have just been 24, 23, 24 anyway. So very young, you know, and and I was still a kid. Like, you know, I'd gone straight from boarding school to full-time uni to full-time work, hadn't had a break, no gap year, no travel, no life experiences. Um, And, yeah, that's what leads me to sort of my mid-20s. Lots lots of success. Um, I bought a house with my wife, had all the toys I had, a pretty serious sports car, fancy watches, all this stuff, right, that I thought I needed to be happy. That's the only reason why it's important to mention. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a bit like it, things were going a little bit pear-shaped, started to just feel a little bit different, not really getting the buzz out of life. Like, and I was the perfectionist that was just always on, like, go, 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 go. Um, at the gym, you know, I'd, I'd bolt right up at the gym, um, I was quite addicted to it. You know, I was like weighing my food, counting my macros, like bodybuilding, yeah. getting massive because that would get me respect because I was a small kid at school and picked on for being small. So it was this whole thing, right? Getting lots of attention. And it was just that external gratification that I needed. You know, I needed to earn money and buy shit and tell people that I was doing a good job and fuck, nice watch pricey and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Shocking. Um you know, setting yourself up for, for a seriously um, big fall, you know, generally speaking. And, um, you know, that's essentially what happened. My, my marriage wasn't working out. We were doing marriage counselling probably a couple of years into the marriage. Cut a long story short, we separated when I was 28. And I, moved, I left her in the house. I moved home to my parents' place for the first time since I was 21, right? And so I'm still doing the same thing, which is just not talking about how I'm feeling. And I was just textbook yeah i'm sweet it's all good no i'm fine no worries yeah you know like mate i was broken on the inside like so i'm already i think by this point um feeling quite depressed at first just about the fact that i'd um you know felt like a failure um for not being able to fix my marriage you know i wanted to make it work like i didn't get married for no reason you know i'd stood there and promised her till death do us part and and i felt guilty and bad about that but it just wasn't working and you know we'd grown apart you know and and this whole feeling of being a failure um was tough and then you know obviously being at home with my parents even though I still I had a lot of wealth that I'd accumulated it it was kind of non-existent because I was just living in the spare room my parents place at 28 feeling um like a piece of shit I didn't like my job anymore like I didn't like anything anymore you know I think that's when the depression really took hold I I started to realize that nothing was really giving me a buzz anymore and it just snowballed from there you know it just it got worse and worse and worse started drinking um, a lot more than I used to I I was just a a pretty light social drinker um, because of all the sport I was still playing sport through my 20s and uh and then you know started experimenting with with recreational drugs which was not good for me i don't think it's good for anyone but it didn't go well for me at all one because it made me feel really alive for a period of time and i felt like i like i fit in i feel good and and all that obviously was now you know understanding 
you know, self-medication and substance abuse is that, you know, I was just off in la-la land, you know, just so pissed and high that I wasn't really remembering how, you know, fucked up I felt my life was when I was sober. You know, I was just escapism. Still working in my job as a, you know, a director of a international property firm, like turning up pretty much every day. You know, when I wasn't, I'd just chuck a sickie, say I ate bad food or whatever, you know. It was just really putting on that mask, pretending I was fine when I wasn't. You know, and all the things I enjoyed doing, going to the gym, my eating habits, um, you know, my cleanliness, my organisation, all those things were all dropping off the radar. You know, and these are important things to mention because they're things that people can recognise in themselves and and in others. You know, that's why we talk about them. Um, You know, people could have seen... Um, you know, and, and hindsight, again, is a wonderful thing. You know, after the fact, a lot of people are like, oh, fuck, you know, I, I should have known better. I wish I'd reached out to you, Pricey. You know, but the reality was it, people did ask questions. Are you, you know, are you all right? Um, and, you know, someone that's really struggling mentally, um, you know, certainly when, when shame is a big part of it and the stigma, um, we're just so good at saying we're fine because we don't want to admit that we're not. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what we're here to talk about, right? You know, and that's why I tell my story because I want people to try and find themselves somewhere on my journey and get an intervention a lot sooner than I did Um, because it doesn't have to get to crisis point to get help. You don't even need to be actually, you know, diagnosed with a mental illness to get help. You just need to be just having a bit of a rough time not feeling yourself. Go and get some help. Get a tune-up. It's like servicing your car. You know, get a mental health plan from the GP. Have a few discounted sessions, which is always good. Um, find a find a therapist that works for you and yeah. and you know that might be all you need like if I'd seen a therapist during um, the early months of my divorce I reckon I would have been sweet like if I'd got you know been honest you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. about actually what was going on like if I'd said yeah like I, I, I kind of hate myself I don't look at myself in the mirror anymore you know I um, you know I'm, I'm drinking just to escape things you know I can't stay in social situations because I get so panicked about what people are thinking about me yep. are they talking about me because I left my wife you know like it's this crazy shit going on this full blown anxiety you know they would have said well that's this and these are the strategies to help but you know unfortunately um, that wasn't my journey um, and you know I ended up becoming pretty deeply suicidal got to a point where I was isolating so much outside of work hours and really even struggling to be in the office. I was having panic attacks by this point. Like, I'd have full body sweats and and I'd vomit and shit like that. It was pretty hectic. Um, you know, the full world's imploding on me stuff. Like, you think you're having a heart attack. Yeah. I remember a couple of times I'd race into the change rooms at the office and, like, t- take my clothes off and have a cold shower. Like, I thought I was sick. I remember thinking, like, I'm sick. I got a virus or something. I hadn't even joined the tots. Yeah. That it was, it was all mental. Because it didn't feel like it could be. Like, it was so powerful. Yeah, so like physical. So yeah. physical and all, all body consuming, you know. Yeah. Like, it was crippling me. Now I know it was, you know, poison of the mind. I had major anxiety and depression. And I didn't also realise that getting to work every day was incredible in that state that I was in, you know. And all the listeners that are out there that are, you know, battling depression and anxiety and still turning up for life and waking up every day and getting shit done, even if that's just getting out of bed and eating and going back to bed, like, good on you because it's fucking hard, but it will get yeah. better, you know. It, and I'm, you know, I'm living proof, as are a number of your other guests, that, that things do get better in time and there's a lot of help out there for you that's incredible. 
you know, I didn't seek help until crisis point and, and my rock bottom was uh, 4th of December 2014. I'd spent the night in my car after work. It was a Thursday, it was a Thursday morning, so Wednesday night. Sorry, uh, how old are you at this stage? Um, 29. Yeah. 29, still at home. I'd probably been... Um, been separated or I think the divorce might have actually officially gone through but you know that was the big life thing that was going on for me um all my you know all my finances and everything were tied up in a in a legal battle which was very tough you know it got got you know you know ugly is not really the right word but you know what I mean like it did yeah I thought it was going to be fairly amicable and it ended up being far you know the opposite of that um which really surprised me and and really um beat me down because I was already feeling like, you know, not a great person. And then I was kind of made out to be a, a bad person, you know, just, just for the sake of a few bucks. Yeah. Um, that was really tough. And, uh, yeah, anyway, so 29 years old, um, you're still not talking about what's actually going on for me. And, um, yeah, I drunk myself to sleep pretty much, which was a fairly regular occurrence um, behind closed doors. It had gotten so bad that I was telling my parents I was staying with a mate um, and I'd spend most nights in my car, either in my office building um, car park or um, or I'd pull the car out of the car park so people wouldn't see me and park somewhere in a back street of the rocks because I worked in the city. It's pretty ugly scenes, like, thinking about it. Like, when I tell this part of the story, it still makes me really upset because it was, mate, it's awful. And would you just be drinking those nights? Yeah, um, not always. Like sometimes, just so crippled by anxiety and depression that I just, I just couldn't socialise. Yeah. It was just pure okay. isolation. And the tough thing was, you know, like I didn't have a, a safe place to go. Not that anywhere, yeah. not that anywhere at that stage, isolating is safe. But you know, being in your car is not a great spot to yeah. be because it just exacerbates, you know, the feelings of loneliness and depression. And like, look at what a piece of shit I am. Maybe I was choosing it because it made me feel worse. You know, by that point, I was kind of hurting myself right not realizing yeah um you know and i was mate i was just completely broken so it got it got to 5 a.m in the morning and i'd been i'd been suicidal for some time um i'd i'd toyed with the idea of taking my life um you know for quite a while just because i've you know there were a number of times where i felt i couldn't do another day um and the feeling was really strong this morning um so i left my car at 5 a.m um I knew it was time for me to, you know, pull my pull my suit and shirts out of the back of the car and, and go down to the change rooms, pretend I'd had a gym session, iron my shit and get to work, you know, um, which was pretty much what I was doing. And, um, yeah, I walked up, um, I left my car and walked up to the, walked up the stairs to the, you know, the walkway of the Harbour Bridge and climbed to the um, sandstone just before the security fence started and scaled the outside of the fence. Um, even that alone, you know, like cops don't know how I managed to walk 400 metres on a on a two-inch wide railing um, in a suit <laughs> and, and work shoes. Uh-huh. But, like, I'm meant to be here, right? Like, yep. I didn't care if I fell by this point. I was trying to get to the middle. Um, so you're scaling the security fence along the I was, outside, I was on it? the outside of it, yeah. And there's, there's like, a – there's a – between the fence and the railing, there's, you know, there's a little um, – sort of s- supporting rail i guess um just part of the structure of the bridge and why the middle um I, I don't know i just i wanted to get to where it was high <laughs> if you uh, want to be yeah. you know yeah. like it's pretty graphic so you know obviously um i know you do like a trigger warning but 
um, it's like a pretty full on part of my story, but it's important because of what happens next. No, yeah, no, of course. I just, it's just interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. I think some people in that situation, if they've got those thoughts, it's almost like, well, what's the quickest? Yeah, absolutely. But it, that's, that's found it interesting that you said no, you wanted sure, to get to the middle sure. there. Um, look, to be honest, I wanted to jump in the water if, if you want the, the real answer. Yeah. Um, we do we do have a trigger warning. There, yeah, so. sure, sure. Um, I, um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to splat on the pavement because I didn't want my parents having an ID me all messed up and I thought I'd look a little bit better if I'd hit the water. Like that's how fucked up my mind was. Like I was, I was done. Like this is this is a guy that's you know already dead, just trying to work out the best way to get out. You know, I'm very like, mate. I've done some work in the US um, in the suicide prevention space over there, and I'm so grateful that access to lethal means was quite challenging for me. You know, the, the gun deaths over there. Like I've said to my missus and my family before, like if guns were just lying around, I don't reckon I'd be here. Um, you know, yeah. And that's you know that's a whole other story, but. Um, I sat down on the railing, I took off my, my, my fancy watch, you know, at the time, um, and left it there for my little brother because uh, he loved it. And, um, you know, again, it just shows how, how cooked my mind was to think that that was going to help my brother grieve or something. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought I'll leave it for him. And, um, you know, I was ready to jump. I, I, by the, I'd walked to the pylon and when you act, if you, no one's ever going to do it, but you can't get around the pylon. The, the fence goes into the middle of it and it's like five metres an enormous thing yeah so there was no way i was going to get to the water um so i kind of sat down there and i was done and um sort of doing my my like you know my sort of little goodbye thing i guess um i was crying like it was it was it was a pretty broken emotional time the sun was just coming up and then i just heard sirens everywhere like and it was fucking intense you know i was petrified that i'd been found like that someone had caught me um because it just wasn't the plan um it was still pretty dark so i think one of the security guards spotted me but didn't want to approach me yeah um and i'm so grateful um, so are you are you at a height now if you if you fall oh 100 percent. yeah mate i'm a, I'm, I'm i'm road height yeah, yeah i'm on okay. the fence road height there's a 60 meter drop yeah 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 i'm like so jumping off the top of a yeah. uh, an office building yeah so and, and i'm just just sitting there you know dangling my legs over the edge um and this guy called Aaron Trevitt, who's a police officer, got to the fence um, first. And it was, it felt like it was within 15 seconds of hearing the sirens, you know. And I was just panicked. I was sort of like a deer in headlights, I think. Um, and the police report says, and Aaron says it, the first thing I said was that there was nothing to worry about. I was just there to watch the sunrise. <laughs> and, you know, it's just that whole thing of, you know, trying to make excuses and not let anyone yeah. in. You know, even then, at a complete crisis point, um, you know... At deeply suicidal I still was pushing people away um, and pushing my emotions away and not wanting to admit to myself what was actually happening you know he's as as most first responders are you know trained in, in how to speak to people and there was no judgement there was no what the fuck are you doing there it was it was mate you know don't jump all that sort of stuff and then um, you know I can help you we can get you help and it was just pure empathy without judgment um, that sort of broke me initially. We started having a bit of a chat. He was asking me what was going on. Um, I needed to make sure that I could trust this guy, so I asked him for a ciggy. 
<laughs> um, which is pretty pretty ridiculous. But I thought it was I thought it was you know a smart thing to do at the yeah. time. Um, anyway, like you know, I was like, if this guy really cares about me, he's not. He's going to do something, you know. So, yeah. so he and he literally like he he was a smoker. I think he still smokes. But we literally like we were having a ciggy through the fence. But it was like he was doing anything he could to build rapport. Yeah. And I think I was kind of doing the same because I didn't know. Like I was just I was broken. By that point, I didn't trust anyone or myself. I thought my family wanted me not around. I thought they were ashamed of me. Yeah. And all the textbook, you know, severe depressed thoughts. Yeah. Um, anyway, but he look, he got to me, and he Aaron says that you know when he first looked at me, he'd never seen a human being so empty. Like he looked straight through me. Um, he's like, mate, there was nothing there. Like you were done. Like I wanted him to leave me alone. I'm just like, just leave me be, bro. You know, just go yeah. go look after someone else. I'm done. You know, go save someone else. You know yeah. that sort of stuff. And um, mate, he he did his job, and you know that I think it was about a 15 minute conversation. By that point, I'd stepped over the railing and leant against against the fence because they were asking me to. I had like five police officers holding my shirt and stuff, so I wouldn't jump or fall. And then it became quite traumatic because I said to him, like, "I oh, get me down. I don't want to die today. Um, and get me off this fucking bridge before someone turns up and takes a photo of me." Uh, like yeah. He remembers me saying that. Like, it was like I started panicking about film crews and, like, I was, you know, very unwell. But I just didn't want anyone to know that I was this person. Yeah. Um, which is just so sad, you know. And it's it's ironic now because I'm on here on a podcast talking to you guys, and I've told this story all over the world, right? Yeah. Um, and the stigma's not not like the stigma is real. It's there and it's strong, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah. You know. And uh, mate, look, it, after a traumatic. Um, probably 10 or 15 minutes with the fire and police rescue guys trying to work out how to get to me they were going to just cut the fence open um they then hooked up a harness and and hoisted me back over the fence which was pretty full on you know yeah um and, and you know and that in itself that whole experience was quite traumatic i've had to do a lot of work on getting over that nightmares of you know dying and, and all sorts of things because you know i do want to live now every day i want to live and i've still had had periods in the last five years where i've had suicidal thoughts um you know but i know how to manage them now and i know you know what the triggers are and where they come from and you know i've got a lot of trauma in my life and that's okay um but you know that do you want to do you want me to sort of talk about the journey from there and you know yeah. the healing yeah. journey 100 um yeah. i was doing a bit of reading don't yeah, do sure. much but i was doing a bit for this um <laughs> and i found it interesting your relationship now with aaron Mm. And I, feel, I read a bit about him and how he was a firefighter and he was only in the force for two years mm. when he came across that. Yeah. And I just found I don't think cops get enough recognition for that Absolutely. sort of stuff because like, yeah. it is part of their training. And like, yeah. like you said, like, that training saved a life. Absolutely. You know, and, and I've spoken about this with Aaron at length. You know, we are good mates now. And, and um, you know, I, part of my healing was, you know, talking to the people that were close to me that that I knew were impacted by, um, you know, my life and the decisions that I'd made. Um, you know, sure, I didn't, um, I didn't die that day, but, you know, for all intensive purposes, that's what I was there to do and, and I was determined to do it. And so that affects your family, that affects your loved ones. You know, parents, do they think they failed me? Um, you know, do they have shame? So I worked through that with them because it was important to me. Like that's the next layer once you get over a lot of your own shit. And it was a similar journey with Aaron. Like I was I just wanted to know, you know, did it affect him? Does it still affect him? And he told me that, um, 
you know, it, it had to a point because, you know, there are a lot of times where it doesn't go that way yeah. um, for those guys every day. Um, you know, the, if there are, you know, there are eight um, deaths by suicide in Australia a day on average. Um, most of them are attended by first responders. A lot of them, um, you know, aren't just people that have passed away. A lot of them are in the moments. Um, yeah. And it's extremely traumatic for, for these guys. And, you know, he... Um, he was having, you know, not flashbacks, but he was having thoughts of, fuck, what if I'd said the wrong thing? And Dan had jumped. You know, yeah. what What if I don't say the right thing next time? Um, you know, and this is real life. Yeah. You know, he's he doesn't want to have that situation ever again, even though he got a good result with me. Yeah. Um, you know, and they don't get enough recognition. That's why, you know, I've written articles about my relationship with Aaron alone and, and how amazing the first responders were. You know, I had ambulance, fire, <laughs> um, I had the works there. Um, and they were all incredible um, you know showed me a lot of care and a lot of sympathy and empathy um, and um, you know I was scheduled under the Mental Health Act and taken to um, St Vincent's emergency uh, and put in their, their PEC unit there um, which you know I'm very grateful for um, because you know could have been potentially you know the circumstances might have been different a different place a different time um, different police potentially could have been arrested for just you know climbing the fence and and breaking the law you know like that's you know it was going to be one way or the other um it was you know obvious through the stories i was sharing that i was going through a really tough time and i didn't want to be here but um yeah look the the healing journey from there um was a um very challenging one but you know it's been a a really rewarding one too you know The, the biggest thing was just understanding how I got there and how not to get there again, um, you know, and so a lot of psychiatry initially. Um, I put myself through um, a private uh, hospital rehabilitation program for four weeks, um, which was pretty daunting and a decision I had to make myself. You know, those programs or those hospitals don't take you unless you call and admit yourself. Um, you know, to, obviously, so the people there actually want to be there and aren't just forced yeah. um, by you know family or whatever um you know and i got a lot of psychology in a really short space of time and started to make some really big breakthroughs it was also really um really grounding for me to see a whole lot of other people that were that were pretty fucked up to to be honest um and i don't say that lightly you know people had a lot of trauma you know i was in group therapy and it was daunting and but everyone's talking about their tough times and you know um trying to take their lives or you know not everyone was there for for for, you know trying to attempt suicide but you know brokenness depression anxiety bipolar eating disorders substance abuse the works you know on different floors in different wards but um it's it it did me a lot of good um although it was really tough and really daunting um and a tough time of year too because fourth of december meant that you know my stay in hospital was over christmas and and new year's away from my family and and i'm a big family guy family's very important to me we have a very close you know loving family big family um you know rarely bashes that time of year and stuff so mate, it was a really um really tough time in my life of course um but you know it, it was the the start of my um, my recovery journey, as I, uh, you know, as I call it, when I do my talks, my journey to wellness, um, which is still going. Um, you know, this is good for me right now. Talking to you guys, um, you know, this isn't just for other people. Um, it's important for me to know that I'm giving back. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important for people to acknowledge that too. When you do good shit, it's not just 
because you're a great person, you're doing yeah. things for other people. Like, it's good for me. Like, yeah, that's it makes exactly me feel what good. Where you, you know? say, like, people come up and will say, oh, it's so good what you're doing. And you go, well, like, as, as much as it helps you, it helps me just as much. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And what you guys, you know, what you guys doing um, with this podcast is incredible because, you know, you're breaking down those challenges that I faced and, and that you guys faced, you know, just being a young bloke, um, you know, and, uh, you know, it's not just a bloke thing, of course, but, you know, we we always mention the male side of mental health a lot because, as we know, like it's 75% male um, in terms of the suicide rate and that kind of blends right through into, um, you know, struggles with the various mental illnesses as well. And, um, you know, we have to do more. It's funny because, you know, the, the ingredients and the recipe for healing are, are there right in front of us. Um, you know, it's not like finding a cure for cancer. Yeah. Like the cure for this is talking. It's connection. It's vulnerability and honesty and and support and love and care empathy you know like that's that's all fuck we've got it all it's all here yeah like it's here right now like we've got the cure for this disease we've got the cure for you know people killing themselves um it's it's not that simple because it's the most complex um way of dying i think in the world like the brain illness brain health is just so complex and they still really haven't worked it out you know my medication journey Fuck, I can't tell you how many medications I took um, to try and find one that worked. And I couldn't understand why they couldn't fix it. Like, you know, yeah. give, give, me, give me the shit yeah. that works, you know. And um, and so then I, I bec- uh, you know, really understood. I've done so much research and reading in the last five years on, on my health, which is, you know, a big self-care strategy that not a lot of people talk about. Like, get to know your symptoms. Get to know your illness. Um, yeah like inside out read the studies watch the podcast watch russell brand like you know get in there and really understand it um you know because now i understand that you know it's a bit of an educated guessing game psychiatry um but once i found the right fit of medication and and psychology um you know my healing and the way i felt about myself improved pretty drastically you know pretty quickly um you know so there's definitely um you know, I can say a lot for um, mental health medication, that's for sure. You know, like antidepressants and, you know, I was on mood stabilizers for a while for, you know, bipolar 2 diagnosis, which, you know, it doesn't really bother me whether it's there or not. I, I'm not one to label myself now. Um, you know, like I have these symptoms and I know how to manage them. Um, but, you know, my mum struggles with bipolar disorder too, um, bipolar disorder quite strongly and so does my my uncle on that side so there's a hereditary element too potentially but yeah um yeah look like the the healing journey um which i think is the most important stuff to talk about you know obviously letting people understand you know where i've come from and there's a lot of people like i'm telling the story of tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people that have survived suicide um you know the 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 patterns and the emotions are going to be fairly similar um, the experiences and the trauma that led to it are different. But once you feel depressed, once you feel anxious and you're having panic, that's just what it is. Yeah. That's, you know, a common theme, as you guys know. Um, yeah, you know, and uh, it's just just now it's about just looking after myself as best I can. You know, I don't know if you want me to sort of talk about what I do day-to-day yeah, for self-care. Please. How yeah. long have we been talking for? <laughs> we We're on time? to 50, yeah, we've got plenty yeah. of time. Yeah, plenty cool. of time. Cool. Yeah. Well, just you know, ask away. I kind of ramble on once I get so once I get going. Like you said, your healing stage. So you went and you checked into the the mm. private sector. Yep. And then where do you go from there? 
Um, yeah, so transition is um, is something that I've been working on actually with um, a couple of groups, global groups um, around suicide because um, people fall through the gaps and I think tran- the, the transitions out of care are... Um, it's an interesting topic. I won't open Pandora's box today, but um, it was kind of like um, here's a very vague um, self-care plan, you know, at the end of my four-week stay. Like, you know, you, obviously you're not better because you just yeah, don't get yeah, better yeah. from something like that. The medication's not even working yet. It's not yeah. even kicked in four weeks in. Like, for my experience, it's probably more like six weeks, yeah. eight weeks, really, for me to notice a difference because I've been on and off stuff to, to kind of get a gauge for me anyway um, yeah and you just sort of back out there so I went back to my parents place um, there was some discussions um, but you know it's important to mention that the stigma was still there for me in a big way um, very few people knew that I tried to take my life um, my workplace were told that I was just taking some time out for personal reasons um, so I still had my job. My boss knew. And a couple of the senior people there, HR had supported me. So f- the support financially and sick leave and stuff was fantastic. But the stigma um, in the the workplace and the corporate world and everything is, is strong and it's still there and it's yeah. a passion of mine too. Because um, they didn't know what to do with the guy that was coming back to work after trying to take his life. Yeah. Like, what are they going to do with that? But, you know, the reality is... Yes, it's challenging, but you guys need to do more because you're an employer. Yeah. You have a responsibility to your employees, so fucking do whatever you have to do to educate yourself yeah. and get better at it. Um, because my experience was not a great one. Um, you know, I still had the same, um, you know, tasks and stress levels, and yeah. you know, I was in a I was in a commission role, so the financial element was still there, and people are still drinking in the office on a Friday night for, or Friday afternoon from four o'clock was triggering for me because not because I was a full-blown alcoholic but because I'd had problems with alcohol and I and part of my self-care was not to drink yeah. um, at least for a period of time um, I was attending AA meetings um, at that point as part of my um, strategy um, that was given to me when I was in the clinic um, they said go and try them out because they do work for some people so I did and you know they were helpful um, for a period of time but I just didn't want to do anything that was going to make me feel shit again. So it yeah. wasn't hard for me to be like, I don't want to drink, but I just felt so different. Like it's going to exacerbate my um, feelings of um, my childhood. I can't drink. Yeah. You know, it's like a reverse of having to take medication. It's like yeah. now I'm the weird one because I can't drink, you know? Yeah. And so I went through this whole thing. So I only went back to work for six months. Then I realized that it wasn't for me. It was kind of a bit of an amicable, mutual decision. Um, My performance wasn't great um, because I just didn't feel comfortable in the office. Um, I hadn't been able to tell people what I'd gone through. And that was very challenging for me because I was peeling the layers of the onion in therapy every week. You know, I'm doing hours of therapy and meditation, all this stuff and starting to learn who I am. But then I, you know, 80% of my life, 80% 80% of my waking life in my job, um, I'm hiding it again. So there's yeah. this stigma situation Two going different on. lives almost. Yeah, you know, and it was just too hard. And I was with working with a really great psychologist who just, you know, pointed out that I wasn't going to get nearly as well as I could and will over time if I stay in that role. I'd just grown past it. Yeah. For nothing else, I wasn't enjoying it anymore. Um, it was very hard to leave because this, this is by now a nine and a half year career, the only job I've ever had. So leaving that job was like breaking up with someone. Yeah. It was scary. You know, it was, it was one of the only things I had left. 
at the time. I was I was still back. I was still living with my parents. Wanted to move out. Wasn't sure whether it was I was ready to yet. You know, it was only a few months or probably six or nine months after after the suicide attempt. Um, you know, so it was all it was all pretty tough. Um, but just used the support of my family. Was really telling them what was going on, and um, you know, I left the job dealt with that you know we knew it was coming and knew it was going to be tough for me to leave so I then had a six-month sabbatical I call it they call it whatever Um, you know time out it wasn't a holiday like I wanted to go to Bali and just surf you know but I would have done me no good because it's like not running from it but just it would have been putting pause yeah pushing pause on my on my uh, healing Um, and you know it just it wasn't the right time and I knew that like people didn't have to tell me that yeah. I knew it was a pull it's just an escapism thing you know because um, recovery is hard like working on your mental health and therapy is tough yeah. um, digging up past trauma is tough you need to have breaks it's like you know when you're you know like training for an event like you need deload weeks like I have de- I, I use the same sort of analogy in my running as I do with my mental health like I've just I've just pushed out my psychology, which I still go to fortnightly. I've pushed it out to monthly just because I need a bit of a deload from my therapy because I'm doing some more some more digging, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you do need a rest. So I, um, when I was resting from, like, therapy, I was doing, um, you know, um, sort of holistic-type things, learning how to do yoga and meditation and all these sort of western practices or eastern practices sorry so i was doing that east west thing i was i was still taking medication i really believed in the doctors which was you know very tough for me initially i didn't trust them because of my childhood you know i just felt like they're just going to flip me some pills and not care about me um you know but you can find great doctors and i say that because it's important for you know listeners to know that um for me I liken finding a good therapist, like a good psychologist or counsellor or psychiatrist, GP, whoever it is, it's like dating, you know, like it's, you know, you you got to feel good, the initial meeting's got to be comfortable, you got to feel like they trust you, they're in it for the right reasons, like they want to see you do well, because like any industry, um, you know, there, there's, there's good ones and not so good ones, or there's just people that you like and don't like, just yeah. like life. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's worthwhile sticking at it. You know, I, it breaks my heart when I hear people say, oh, I tried medication, it didn't work for me. Oh, okay, so what did that look like? Oh, you know, I was put on X medication and I, I stopped taking it after two months. I'm like, like I'm not uh, a doctor or a therapist or anything like that, so I need to be careful what I say, But I so I just use my experience. Yeah. But they haven't given it a chance yet is is my take on that um just like people that say oh you know i went to a therapist didn't really like him you know so they think they're all going to be shit and i understand why especially when it's so hard to reach out for help to start with you know like fuck it's so hard um to to get the courage up and um you know, so it, it is heartbreaking. So I really like focusing on that stuff too, you know, for people to know it's tough, um, but it's so worth it. Because, you know, once you start working with someone that you really trust and you can, you know, work out the, the right techniques and strategies for you to just heal and grow and understand yourself, um, you know, the the, the growth um, that you get from it is just, you can't even quantify it. Like I'm a totally different person a few times over since since that experience you know i've had yeah. i've had some serious dips like you know i 
I, I broke up with a girlfriend when I was overseas. I then had a motorbike accident and broke five bones, thought I'd never run again. You know, my mate took his life on Anzac Day three years ago. Like, you know, life, and that's not uncommon. Like, that's not a sob story. Yeah. That's fucking life, you know? Um, people losing their jobs, losing their loved ones, um, you know, whatever it is, breaking up, you know, custody battles with kids. Like, this stuff's happening for people all day every day like life is tough um so you know i just encourage people to get the help like that's why the help is there that's why psychology and counseling and these things are so um such big industries because you know people need it we all need it um you know we've all got mental health that's like my view is like mental health is a spectrum we've all got it every day like mental health to a lot of people when you say mental health they think depression which i'd like to change so I think mental health, you know, brain health, mental wellness, whatever you want to call it, mental fitness, brain fitness, like it doesn't matter what you call it. Like it's our brain is such a important part of our body. It's it's the thing that drives us, right? There's no questioning that. Everything that we think and feel goes through there. Um, and we need to look after it, just like we have to look after our, our tikai, our cardiovascular, you know, get out and walk and run. And then you go into the whole... Um, you know the next layer of that which is you know how your mind and body are so connected like and i've discovered that through yoga and meditation and then my interest in nutrition and gut health and how well you can manage your brain chemistry through um diet and exercise it's it's phenomenal like that i thought i was going to need to be on antidepressants and mood stabilizers my entire life and I'm not saying that everyone can do this because there's a huge spectrum of mental illness too. Yeah. You know, like some people have um, mental illnesses and diagnoses that they will need to stay on medication forever and that's okay. Like that's perfectly fine. I'm taking medication at the moment. Like I'm back on, since October last year, I'm back taking antidepressants for the first time in three years because, you know, we had a miscarriage and we had some hard shit go on and I was at burnout. I needed yeah. to get some help, take some time off work, you know, and... Uh, a whole bunch of stuff came up around shame and I'm not good enough and I thought I was fixed and now I'm sick again and you know the reality is I had to strip that back and say it's life you've had some yeah. hard shit go on yeah I think that's push. a big so I think that's a big yeah. thing people I, I know it happened to me recently mm. around Christmas time which I'm the same as you I'm a big family person love my family around Christmas I kind of went back into a a bad stage and it was like well fuck i thought i was out of this yeah and i think that's when well i did i got caught up in it and then i went back saw my psychologist and they broke things down and said well this is why it's happening yeah and it's just like once it is like a shit feeling when you think you're out of that rut and then you fall back into it and you go well fuck it's just like so disheartening but mm. i think like you said you just got it that's life yeah that's abso- just- absolutely and i think it's an it's totally a natural a natural feeling to say and feel that you're falling back into it and you know that's kind of part of the process too to let yourself feel it and say but that's not really true that's just the way my mind thinks it wants to kind of have that negative bias and think oh you know the world's fucking ending oh coronavirus we're all gonna fucking die you know like but it's not actually true like you know control what you can control is my take on it for me i might break it down dan it's all good bro like put write it down on paper and writing down is the best thing for me like my psychologist does it for me all the time he's just like just write down what's been happening for you lately like the actual things that have triggered you like and you know and then i'm like 
fuck, it's been pretty hectic, eh? Hey? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, no wonder. And it yeah. makes you feel a bit better because you go, well, there are some actual real valid reasons here and there always are. There's always yeah. something. Um, you know, even if it's just that you haven't had a holiday in 12 months like, and you're burnt out. Like, you know, a lot of people that are really struggling with um, anxiety in particular, I feel, like I see when I talk to people, it ends up being a case of them they've just pushed so hard they're at that exhaustion point and not just like oh my body's tired like full-blown life mental emotional exhaustion you know yeah like your cup's just completely empty you got nothing left like you need to just tap out refuel you know and then there are options there too you know take some time off work take a week you know go on a little holiday like you got to do those things um but yeah you know it, the journey um of healing isn't like you know just in one direction like it just doesn't yeah. go up um i've had a lot of dips um i've made mistakes um you know there have been times where um i've self-medicated with booze and recreational drugs in the last five years it's been very limited few and far between but there have been a couple always off the back of a serious trigger generally grief yeah um and it's something that I now know, though. So the last time, so about eight weeks ago, um, a, blo- a bloke that I know, um, actually my life coach's brother, um, passed away very suddenly. Um, and uh, I-, I won't go into that. There's a little bit of a grey area there. You can read between the lines. And um, I was devastated um, because we had shared a lot about his mental illness and his custody battle and what have you. And um, But I said to my missus and my family, and and this is like this is for the listeners like like rock solid self-care i'm not talking myself up here this is what we should all be doing if we struggle mentally like i i said to my family this has happened get my back watch me watch me closely because this could really fuck me up right um and i was fine and i think just knowing that everyone knew yes that i'd had some news that could really rattle me um, I told my boss, said, this has happened. I'm not asking for time off, but just, you know, a little bit of leeway here and there, maybe a, an early afternoon for a surf or a run, like self-care. Like I need my self-care right now and my self-care is not burying it. My self-care is not just working harder and pushing and being a better dad because I feel sad and guilty and I've got to be there for my daughter and, you know, all this stuff that might come up as defaults, as a bloke. Um, but slow down, feel it, you know, get a couple of extra therapy sessions in, um, write, talk, reach out to friends, you know. Um, and that's what I did. And, and I've never gotten through anything challenging as well as I did that experience. And, you know, I'm proud of myself for that because I did all the right things, um, you know, and there were still times where, you know, I wanted to escape, wanted to not feel it. Um, and I just acknowledge those feelings. I do a little meditation or go for a run and, you know, that's just... Um, how life is for me but I I don't think it's that much different to how someone who has never had a mental health struggle um, or a diagnosis would treat you know a challenging time I think they just do it better (laughs) and like a lot of people just go okay I'm grieving I need to look after myself Um, unfortunately you know for me and a lot of people that have struggled mentally it's um, you know your default is suppress pretend it's not there don't feel isolate self-medicate whatever that means for you sometimes it's over exercising sometimes it's being a workaholic sometimes it's too much social media drinking partying sex like the list goes on right eating is a huge one um but a lot of people have these vices for when you feel shit um 
and the more you can understand about yourself and the more you can understand why you're doing things for um the better you know like you just we've got a it's like it's an inward journey right is what this mental health journey is all about it's like understanding who you are what makes you tick what makes you feel good do more of that these people are no good for you why do i feel shit when i leave that person why do why do why do i feel a bit triggered or shameful or whatever um or work it out and and let them go if you need to i've let lots of people go in my life in the last five years because you know that's the best thing for me yeah and you know you've got to look after yourself and make tough decisions and you know get support through those tough decisions you know and that's generally with you know family a counselor a good mate you know pastor priest whatever it is for you you know it, it doesn't matter but we need we need someone touching on drugs and alcohol Mm. you said sometimes you'd abuse it to kind of mask what you were feeling obviously when you were doing it like you said you're flying you're on top of the world Mm. what effects did you see say the next day or when you weren't flying and you were on a come down or you were hungover what effects did you see there yeah um mate it's shocking of course um you know, I was I was aware. So it got to the point where um, I was just drinking just to try and numb myself, and I was quite aware of the fact that I just wanted to sleep. You know, and I'd kind of drink until I was just so pissed I'd fall asleep, which is pretty ugly. But um, you know, regardless of whether I'd been out, um, you know, drinking or or doing party drugs, um, I'd always feel terrible the next day. And not only for the fact that you know you just feel terrible on a hangover. Yeah. Um, you know, but scientifically, obviously, um, alcohol is a depressant. You know, it, it, the problem is the first drink or two, if it's something that your mind is craving, like if you have a craving for alcohol to relieve your anxiety, and society just pumps us with it. Try and watch, yeah. try and watch a TV show or a movie without someone having a bad day and having a scotch or a beer at a bar. I try. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just, it's normal, yeah. right? It's how we are brought up. Oh, fuck, bad day. Let's go have a couple of beers. Like, I'm not saying that's terrible every time, but there are much, much better options out there, which I practice now. You know, I catch up with my, one of my mates who just got separated from his fiancée. And he's, he's a big drinker and partier. And so I've caught up with him. We've had a couple of gym sessions real healthy i don't want to get caught up in anything crazy at night anyway so i don't go i don't go out to dinner with my mates even like that's my self-care a couple of years ago i didn't trust myself to to go out and not drink because not because i couldn't not drink because i hated feeling different and that's what i needed to work out but back to the crux of the question um obviously you know alcohol is a depressant hangovers are fucking terrible they make us all feel shit so if you're struggling mentally you're going to just feel worse exacerbates it um, you're generally isolated on a hangover most of the time, you know, because yeah. you feel shit. You're inside. You're wasting like, oh, look how beautiful that Sunday is. Everyone's at yeah. the beach. You're seeing social media, seeing everyone at the beach. It's exacerbating your shame and guilt and you're a piece of shit. Why would you have 30 drinks last night and two bags and, you know, whatever it is. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you're taking any drugs that put you up, mate, you could just – what goes up comes down. Yeah, it's yeah. very simple. Like the crash is horrendous. Like – um, you know, I, I got caught up, um, you know, doing too much cocaine when I was out drinking. It became something that I did all the time yeah. when I was drinking. It, they just went hand in hand. And that's a bit of a societal thing, especially in, you know, the world I was living in. And, um, mate, the, the come downs were like horrendous. Like I'd have panic attacks. Like, yeah. that, it was that bad. 
Um, and I've seen mates of mine who um, don't even struggle with anxiety and depression really, like a lot of the time. I've seen them even recently and they, they're, they're explaining how they're feeling different after nights out. And, it, you know, because these guys, you know, they've been doing it for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, like on and off socially. And um, what they're explaining is, you know, anxiety or, you know, yeah. panic disorder. Like, they've, you know, they're, but they're doing it to themselves. And it's not my job to tell them that. I don't do that. Um, but I do always say I used, to, I used to feel like that. And I worked out for me um that it was my anxiety like so the next day when i come down and i'm feeling shit and i'm on the couch and i've had three hours sleep and i've spent you know thousand bucks because i went out and got flogged and then i played the pokies you know yeah. like i'm not telling a story that 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 you guys don't know yeah, you know yeah, or yeah. fuck we've all done it or or know someone that has like good luck not feeling depressed in that moment like yeah. even if it's situational depression like you've and the worst part is you've done it to yourself right and the self-loathing yeah. and you're a piece of shit you know we all know what it sounds like is very dangerous and toxic so you know my my thing is for for blokes is um like my mates is like um you know pick your times to go out like if you're feeling shit try not to use that as an escape like yeah. there are other options but um it's only going to make it worse the next day you're not going to solve anything trust me like 2 a.m around someone's kitchen you're not going to solve your anxiety and depression <laughs> yeah. problems i can guarantee you that because yeah. you're not talking about that right um so it's just not going to happen your mind will tell you that it's good for you but it's not um you know and try and get some healthier outlets because there are lots of them you know book in a book in a round of golf at 7 a.m yeah you know like and catch up with the boys and, and you know make sure you go to bed and get a good night's sleep whatever it is yeah. but there are a lot of strategies for that because um it's a big problem we're seeing with blokes you know in our society you know that's why i know it's one of the drivers you know for you guys doing this is you know what we're seeing at, you know out in the community with young blokes um especially in you know in the footy world um they're really struggling with um you know alcoholism and socializing and girls and money and success and all that stuff and you know, it's important just to see that there's a real strong link between like suppressing your emotions, escapism, and and um, abusing you know booze and and recreational drugs. Like it's a it's toxic, toxic solution. If you could go back again, hindsight, mm. when you were going through your real rough stage, apart from obviously talking to someone, is probably the biggest thing. If you could have two or three kind of bits of advice that you wish you could have been told when you were going through those tough times for people listening that are now going through them mm. what would you say the first one would definitely be um it's going to be okay and it's going to get better yeah um, you know you just have to ride that wave um you know it's just it, there are some really simple analogies that always come to mind for me when i'm going through a little bit of a rough patch even if it's half a day i've had a bad phone call and it's just put me off you know i just say you know just get through the day brother like it's all right yep. you go home you sleep you wake up tomorrow it's going to be okay like you know the storm always passes um you know that's the that's the biggest one um the other one is um what your mind is telling you is not true thoughts yep. are not facts um you know just the 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 sooner we all realize and believe that in the moments where we're getting a lot of head noise and and negative self-talk the better um you know i write my i write my head noise down now 
because it's just the easiest way. Like I just yeah. I look at it and I go, well, that's fucking that's bullshit. Like, that's yeah. not re- that's not even real where that comes from. Yeah. But in my head, it's like it's hectic and it's yeah. start, you know, and the tangent start and this happens and this happens. And I've written like three chapters of this book in thirty seconds, and I'm, my heart rate's going up and I'm starting to panic and you know. Um, so yeah, you know, thoughts aren't facts, um, and obviously, um, reach out for help um, because there's so much help out there. You will, um, you know, you won't be disappointed with the results if you um, if you really want to get well. And I, I think anyone that's struggling does. Um, you know, there's the right help out there for any for anyone. Like it's a recipe. You got to put a few things in the mix. Um, psychology alone, I don't think is is just it. Um, neither is just medication like it's got to be at least those two if if required Um, plus a real good look um, once you know you've gotten through some sort of crisis point it's no no good making changes right around crisis point don't fucking change anything just get help and stay safe for sure but then you know look at your relationships look at your intimate relationship can we change it is it healthy do we need some counseling for that what's my family structure like what's my ecosystem like are my friends healthy um, do I eat healthy? How much sleep am I getting? How much exercise do I do? Um, you know, what are my hobbies? Oh, fuck, I don't have any. I haven't played, I haven't done team sport for 10 years. We'll go find, so like I play social softball on a Tuesday night now. It's just hit and giggle. Like it's yeah. funny. Like I, you know, I have to hold back so I don't like hit the ball like <laughs> over the, <laughs> over the, you know, but it's fun. Yeah, it's fun yeah, though, yeah. right? Like, and it's good. It's healthy. A little, little bit of socializing, like community. But yeah, just, um, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all, um, and there's, you know, there's lots of different ingredients that you got to throw in the mix. And, um, you know, like far out, I, um, I was feeling like incredibly well um, about six months after my suicide attempt. I was feeling like a new person. Like I wasn't fixed. I'm still not fixed. I don't really like saying that. You know, yeah. I'm just a dude that's healed. Um, and learned learned from his um, life experiences and and mistakes and past trauma and stuff and grown from it and now I understand how how I tick, but like, man, some of the things I know that I was worrying about then, um, you know, like I was in a I was in a relationship that was obviously toxic, like a little bit of a you know half-hearted like rebound. Yeah. I mean, it's just um, like that then I thought was the be all and end all I was like fuck okay you know and, and it was I remember at the time how much it was breaking me you know and you know I got out of that relationship and it's fine and like it's just whatever it's not even a thing yeah um, you know I was so stressed about my finances well you know yes it was traumatic it's not nice going through um, you know lawyers to divvy up um, all your stuff after a, a divorce but it's done it took a few years um, and I don't fucking think about it anymore, you know? And yeah, you know, like I've lost people. It's tough. I still think about them sometimes. And when I do, I talk about it, you know, like you just, you, you just get on with it and, and things get better. You know, you just do the self care, you do the work, put in the time. It's like anything. If you put work into your wellness, if you put work into your mental health, um, you will feel better. Simple. Yeah. You know, so, to, you know, just, get stuck in and um yeah like the the biggest one you know as as where you know what you guys are doing talking about mental health is just you know there's no shame um i've never been judged for talking about my mental health for telling people that i tried to take my life i still feel shame about it sometimes i wonder what my daughter's going to think of me when she's 15 and she can understand that her dad tried to take her life like i you know i'm a human being i think about that stuff 
But, you know, I can't because I don't even know. She might be like, oh, Dan, I'm proud of you. Like, who knows? Yeah. So why am I bothering? Um, but it's just, you know, I know it's in my head. It's just me and how I feel about myself. And I can, as a, once I'm aware of that in the moment, I can shift it. By saying, no, you are a good person. Ground myself and, you know, move on. Yeah. That's it. And you spoke at Maruba Movement the other week. How was that? Yeah. It was, when was it? Was it Monday? It was this last Monday. The last week, Monday. Yeah. Um, It was great. Um, You know, the guys are doing great things. I love um, talking at community events. Community events and schools are like, they just, they give me a real pause. Like to see a room full of people, I don't know. There must have been 150 people or something there, 200. I don't know. Um, Enough. If there was five, I would have been inspired. But seeing that many, it was yeah. really inspirational because everyone's there. They've dragged themselves out on a Monday night to go and educate themselves um, for themselves and their families and their community. Like they're there to to try and help, and, and that's really inspiring. So I like I loved it. Um, it was the first time I'd spoken in a while. The first time I'd shared publicly um, about you know my recent. Um, struggle and going back on medication and those things so it was really important for me to do that too um to let go of that shame which you know i was very happy to admit i was feeling in the moment that i shared it yeah um it was kind of tacked on a little bit at the end like it is the end of the journey but um i was hesitating while i was up there you know with the mic in my hand fuck do i want to tell this you know there's a bit of um you know because like like anyone you, you know there is that fear of of judgment and yeah. um am i good enough to be up here and all that stuff but fantastic um it was really like i said before you know there was a lot of there was a lot of that um that talk on monday night that was really good for me Um, i took a lot away from it um you know i had a lot of people come and share with me afterwards which is always very special um you know and it's just inspiring to see a community um getting together and really trying to tackle um the suicide and, and mental health problem in that area and what are you doing for work now um i work for a um a not-for-profit healthcare organisation, still in property. Yeah. I did I did uh, about two years of full-time mental health work with various charities, and I mentioned I did a bit of time in the US doing a speaking tour and stuff, um, which are real passion projects of mine. And I, I would, without um, having a family, I would probably still be doing that. But um, unfortunately, um, the way the world is, it's not cheap. And, um, you know, I had to sort of go back in and get a full-time job that was going to um, support three people. Um, yeah. And we've got a, we're 13 weeks pregnant with another child. Um, Congratulations. So um, there's going to be one more in the mix, which is very exciting because we did have a miscarriage last year, which was probably the trigger for me to have a bit of a dip um, off the back of, you know, supporting family and time off work and all that sort of stuff. So um, it's great to be sort of in the clear now. Not that it's ever truly in the clear you know pregnancies are a bit stressful at times but yeah. um we're, we're over where we were last time where we lost the baby and so yeah mate like things are great for me um i keep it real simple um you know i make sure i get my self-care in my partner's very supportive she's also had her own journey with mental health um struggles um quite significant ones you know in her 20s and um she's got a lot of childhood trauma and relationship trauma in her past too so i've you know, very interesting couple of three years with um, Sarah, who's amazing, really understanding each other. And now we tell each other everything and anything. And um, the communication's just got a lot of trust involved, you know, to, to really look after each other's triggers and how you present um, something to the other person so you don't trigger them. Um, 
you know communication styles and everything are so important so we've really worked hard on that and um you know so it's just great having a really healthy relationship that's very open and trusting and you know nothing's getting hit and there's no you know games or questions or fuck what's she thinking you know yeah. silent treatment any of that like we try you know we just get on top of things and if we both need a bit of space we we say we need it and um you know but it's all about my daughter now you know being a dad is incredible and i just um yeah, I just love getting home from work. You know, I start work earlier now so I can finish and, and see her in the afternoons. And, um, mate, it's just, you know, fatherhood really transforms you. You know, it does something to you. It's epic. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, work, work is good. I'm at a great firm. They're really supportive of um, my mental health work as well. I do – I've done a couple of breakfasts there around mental health. I've done a few Are You OK events there. And, um, you know, they support me every now and again, taking a half day here and there to do things. Um, yeah. I do a lot less now just because um, it's just a self-care thing. I, I'd love to be doing more, but it just it burns me out because obviously I'm full-time work. I got, um, you know, I want to be a very present dad, so I'm there um, in my daughter's life as much as possible, um, you know, in the afternoons after work. And, um, you know, if I add in a talk or two a week, or you know some mentoring which i was doing with some young blokes a couple of years ago um it's just there's no there's no um, me time you know there's no running there's no self-care and there's too much there's too much going out too much energy going out um so yeah i don't know what the future holds but i'd love to be back working full-time in the mental health space like you know i'd love to be doing podcasts and these sorts of things like i've had dreams of doing that i was going to start one about 18 months ago but it's just you know you can't do everything and yeah. but it's awesome like what you guys doing is great and that's one thing that i've also learned is like dan chill the fuck out you can't do everything let some people like let yeah. other people do some good shit like you guys have time for it you're doing a great job like that's this is perfect like i've done i might have done 10 or 12 podcasts i think like being a guest like i don't need my own one there's plenty yeah. out there that are doing great things like i don't have the time you know and that's yeah. kind of that whole just weighing up what makes sense for me right now um but long-term, like, dreams of working full-time in the mental health space, maybe in, like, an advisory sort of role around programs, especially programs for schools. Like, you know, I'm catching up with um, Gus Wallen again soon. And, um, you know, I was on his radio show last year with, with John Z and that, and that was good. Good chat. Like, I've done a few radio interviews, which is good. Um, and TV and stuff. Like, it, it's yeah. just wherever they wherever I'm asked to go on the mental health stuff, I do. But... Um, yeah, I just have to be careful not to do too much, as we all do. Yeah, and burn out. Yeah, exactly. I think that'll wrap yeah. us up. That was unreal. Yeah. I'd like, yeah. yeah, massive thanks. Obviously, Luca couldn't no be here today, but yeah, he's um, he'd, I'll send, he'd be I'll playing. Send, I'll send him a text, mate. I'll leave him. No, I don't even have his, <laughs> don't even have his number. I'll hit but, him on Instagram. <laughs> no, massive thanks for coming on, and mate, that mm. was an awesome, awesome story, and to share that pretty yeah. personal and to go into the depth he did just ma- massive thank you yeah oh look you guys are very welcome i just hope um you know it it helps someone out there um you know if it does then we've done our job i'm sure it will um yeah just uh very grateful for what you guys are doing um i hope you guys are proud of yourselves because you're doing a really good thing for for not just this community but obviously with the reach of technology you know i know you're getting listeners um i heard one of the other starts of one of the other podcasts um yeah, where you mentioned that you, you had some some listeners in france and italy <laughs> yeah. and stuff which is yeah, which is which cool. is fantastic it's yeah, awesome yeah. you know and that's the reach like you know when i shared my story initially and i was getting emails and and you know messages from people all over the world like it blew my mind but that's like the power of 
what we're doing is the power of social media, you know, which you've spoken about in one of the episodes. It can be very toxic, but, um, you know, if you use it in the right way, way, it's incredibly powerful. And, um, you know, yeah, you guys are doing a great job. I'm just, I'm just stoked to have been asked to come on and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Thank you. We'll stay in touch for sure. Absolutely. Cheers, boys.